Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, it's Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and welcome to another episode of Be Unique's Unscripted, where we talk to artists, musicians, performers, and business professionals. My name is Tony Taylor, I'll be your host for this evening. You know, you could spend your Thursday nights anywhere, and we are excited you're spending it with us. The conversation is cool, it's calm, and it's casual. You can also be a part of the conversation by dialing 516-418-5651. Now, before we begin, let's talk about why you need to get on your phone and go to BeUnique.org. That's B-U-N-E-K-E.org. Here's what Be Unique is all about. Our mission is to work today to change tomorrow using digital mediums to connect the world with professional storytelling and media production. We work to educate, inspire, and foster positivity and creativity worldwide through video, audio, and a spectacular literary magazine featuring writers from around the world. The newest Be Unique magazine is out right now, and you can read it online along with Be Unique Brevard magazine, the Space Coast premiere magazine. Be Unique is also a media powerhouse. Not only do you get this incredible podcast hosted by me, Tony Taylor, but 11 other shows. So sit back, get comfortable, and get ready to dial 516-418-5651 with your questions, comments, and whatever else you may want to say. Let's meet our guest. All right. Good evening, everybody. It is Thursday. It is 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. You're on Be Unique Radio, and you are listening to Unscripted. Tonight, I have an extremely special guest. Her name is Ruth Parniansky. She's a talented artist and author, and she is releasing her compelling memoir, Journey of the Self-Memoir of an Artist. In this gripping account, Ruth shares her personal struggle with mental illness and how she courageously overcame life's most daunting challenges. Throughout her memoir, Ruth candidly discusses her battle with anxiety, depression, and mania, leading to severe insomnia. She poignantly describes her journey to find the right treatment and diagnosis and how she emerged stronger and more resilient than ever before. Never abandon hope, she says, and that encapsulates her unwavering spirit. Ruth's memoir delves into various compelling topics, including establishing healthy relationships, finding one's passion and the perfect mate, understanding coping patterns with stress, and discovering oneself and one's limitations. Ruth's memoir is now available for purchase on her website, www.ruthparniansky.com. Ruth, welcome to Unscripted. How are you this evening? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is our pleasure. Listen, let's go ahead and jump right into this subject. Mental illness. What is your opinion? Do you think mental illness is given enough attention in this country nowadays? No, I don't think so. And the problem is getting worse. Uh, Roughly, you know, we were discussing it, about 50 million adults, maybe a little bit more, are affected with some form of mental illness, whether it's anxiety, depression, or even worse scenarios. And um, and many people can't afford to get help. And you have to be creative uh, and able to discover what kind of help you can get, for instance, going online and getting online therapy, and that is available. A lot of people don't know that. 
Oh. And there are hotlines, okay. and it, it's it's a difficult thing in this country because we we have a very uh, an isolating component to our society. I agree. Now, Ruth, talk to us about how this first started. When did you start struggling with mental illness? Okay, first in my sophomore year of college, in nineteen seventy four seventy five. Um, I, in my fall semester, I smoked marijuana very heavily until one night I blacked out and I had like a comatose experience. Four hours later, I luckily woke up. It was a very black, dark experience. And then from that moment on, I said, no more smoking, uh, no more smoking marijuana. Um, Go easy on drinking a little bit of wine every now and there, but I went cold turkey. None. Wow. And then, wow. unfortunately, in my senior year, 1977, fall semester, I returned to school, and my boyfriend hadn't returned, so that left me very lonely and isolated. And I befriended another male friend, and at this party that he sponsored, he gave me a brownie laced with PCP, angel dust, at the end oh. of the party. And, and didn't tell you. I he did not tell you. I almost jumped out the window. I had a wow. rest for about an hour just to let the hallucinations die down. Then I got in my car and I drove back and forth. I drove to the New York State Thruway and I started to become very paranoid and making stories in my head that the um, capitalists were and a bloody revolution against the socialists in the country, and people were leaving in spaceships. So I drove to the oh New York gosh. State Thruway, way north up in New York. I abandoned my car at, this, at the shoulder of the highway, and then I proceeded to walk 12 miles down the thruway, down the highway, up the shoulder of the highway. Then I hitched a ride back to my college town, and henceforth, Beginning with that nervous breakdown, I had series of breakdowns for the next seven years. Seven years, every six months to a year's time, I would break down. From and what instigated the breakdowns was social stress, stress of college, compounded low self-esteem, and that triggered um, my nervous breakdowns. And uh, so that was the beginning. The PCP just tipped me off. The marijuana, the PCP, just tipped me over the edge. Ruth, let me ask and you this. And uh, unfortunately... No, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Un- unfortunately, the psychiatrist that I had for the first seven years um, didn't really cater or treat me as my illness became... Worse, my in each breakdown, my insomnia would become much, much worse. Oh wow! And I, it was a real struggle. And not sleeping could make you really paranoid and anxious sure. and depressed. Sure. And that compounded with my low self-esteem because I wasn't performing to my potential, my creative potential. Sure. But Let me, all during oh, that but. era, I still right. had a job. I had boyfriends. I traveled. Nothing held me back in between nervous breakdowns, and I led a double life. 
no one knew what was going on. I kept it a secret. Every, like, six months, I would break down for three weeks. Nobody knew about it except two boyfriends who eventually rejected me because they couldn't accept my cyclic ailment. Nor could they understand. It was beyond understanding for most people. It is, and you know what? As a sufferer, as a as a as a as a person with mental illness, and everybody knows this, I suffer from depression and anxiety. Um, it really is very difficult to try and make somebody who is not in that situation understand the trauma and fear and and loathing that goes into having. Uh, a situation where you have a nervous breakdown. Can you describe that? Can you describe what your breakdowns would be like? Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you a very interesting story. Sure. I went to Athens, Greece. I signed up for a week tour of the ancient ruins. It was a bus tour, and I was alone. And the bus, the tourists that were on this um tour guide, this tour, were all European, and I was, and there were two Americans, and I was only the only other American, so I was very alone, because they all spoke other languages, and the, it was a very strenuous trip going in and out of the bus every day to watch these ruins and everything, and I began to lose my sleep. I was stressed every night. I couldn't sleep. And that compounded itself. Finally, the tour ended, and I was in Athens. This, and I would have six days without sleep. And you wait, 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 wait. You went six days without sleeping? Without sleeping, yes. That uh-huh. was only the that, and I that happened a number of times. But this time, and I was very lucky. I couldn't. I was in the hotel in Athens. It was my last day, and I couldn't sleep. I, I went up to the rooftop and looked over the city and I could see the Acropolis. It was very dramatic. Right. And then what I did was I left the hotel and in the middle of the night, I would say like 12 a.m. in the morning, I'm walking all around Athens alone. And I was just delirious and, and not making any sense. And then luckily a soldier in a uniform asked me if I had a light for his cigarette, and then he escorted me around Athens all morning until I reached the hotel at 6 a.m. in wow. the morning. That's the seventh day without sleep. Wow. And then, I, I don't know how, I was on autopilot, and then I ordered a taxi. I took my bag, and I went to the airport, and I said to the attendant, I'm sick. I need the next flight to New York. Please put me on the next flight. Well, they did it. They put me on a flight to New York. It was a big double-decker plane, I think a 747 at the time. Right. And I was sitting there, and again, this is now going on seven and a half days without sleep. I was sitting, sitting next to a young woman. I couldn't talk. I couldn't have any conversation. I was in my own world. Her father was sitting on the seat um, above us, and he turned around and says, why don't you talk? I was just no words, no nothing. I was glazed. I was like, people, you know, they thought I was tripping on LSD or something. But right. meanwhile, this was a nervous breakdown, and I was imagining people were against me. And 
I was alone and I was deserted and my parents left the earth. They weren't there anymore. And I was just, I felt so isolated and disengaged to reality. That is is unbelievable. Then I imagined two men in back of me, seated in back of me, were talking about me and making fun of me. I got up, I turned around, and I looked at this man in the eye and I slapped him across the face. Well, everybody looked in his, in his, in his, in his, in astonishment. They thought that there was going to be a brawl in, on the plane. Instead, I ran, ran past the woman. I ran to the stairs of the plane, and I ran upstairs, and I went into the first class, and I grabbed a seat. And, I, again, everybody thought I was tripping on LSD or whatever it was. They thought I was on drugs. Right. Mind you, I hadn't slept. I haven't taken a shower for seven days. Gosh. Finally, the plane landed in New York, and I'm sitting there, and everybody else leaves the plane, and the attendant was guarding me, and the transportation police came, and they arrested me, and they brought me to the transportation police um, station in the airport, and they said, luckily, the guy that I slapped did not press any charges against me. Yeah, really? So at that point, I, they gave me a, a free phone call. I called my father. He came, picked me up, and brought me to my psychiatrist. And at that time, that psychiatrist really, he really wasn't effective in treating, you know, my insomnia or my, my incidents. They were getting worse and worse. Right. But... To get back to the question of what goes on in my mind, it's just yes. when you don't sleep, you, ima- you start to imagine things that people were against you, that you were alone, you were isolated, you, were, you were, thought you weren't good enough, you had a low self-esteem, and all, everybody was continuing their lives without you. You were disengaged right. from reality, disengaged from the normal process of life. Did I make right. myself clear? Oh, absolutely. Ruth, let me ask you this. You said that the psychiatrist that you were working with wasn't adequate, wasn't one that really understood what you were going through. Can you describe your journey in finding somebody who could help you with this situation? Okay. I'll now tell you the one, the horrific accident that everything culminated into. Okay. I had gone to a psychological workshop thinking that maybe that will help me, that maybe that will help me be more assertive and and more responsive and more, you know, together. Well, the exact opposite happened. They had confrontational psychological exercises pitting one person against another or one group against another. I became, again, I became very anxious, very paranoid. Um, I I just wasn't equipped deal with a confrontational um, workshop. So again, I began to lose sleep. I went the first day, and then I went to the second day of the workshop. The third day, I didn't go. They called me. They tried to force me to go. They sent um, a gentleman who was my partner. He came. He violated. He came all the way from the city to my apartment, and he knocked on my door. Luckily, I didn't answer it, and he told me a spoiled bitch. They didn't understand anything. Anyway, he went away, and then another three or four nights, I didn't get any sleep. I was pacing back and forth in my apartment, and I went to my scheduled appointment 
No, no. I went two days before my scheduled appointment to see my psychiatrist. I bursted in his doors and I said, look, I'm not feeling well. And he said to me, I have other crisis patients. Please come on your designated time during the week. So he didn't help me. I left, and here I am, like day number five without sleep. Another day passed by, and then Wednesday, the Wednesday of the week, I I just didn't get any sleep. And unfortunately, also, I was in my apartment, and the people next to my apartment, they were doing renovating their apartment, and they were making <laughs> thrilling noises. So it just that's another thing that kept me. I couldn't sleep. I was just getting erotic. I thought my neighbors were going to persecute me. I, I thought everything. So God. I devised a plan. I tied the bed sheets, my bed sheets together, forming a rope. I anchored it on the steel post of my kitchen table, brought it over to the window, and I planned to repel down the wall of my third floor apartment down to the ground. You've got to be because kidding Because I was too nervous yeah. to leave the front door of my apartment. So I went out the window. This is now about one in the morning. I went out the window, and I, the force of the gravity from the ground to my window was immensely strong. You never felt anything like it. Right. I didn't have the power to repel, and I planned my fall instantly. I planned when I fell to roll to my side, land on my feet, and then roll so I didn't hit my head. I fell oh, wow. 30 feet. I was unconscious. I woke up in the hospital, in the emergency room. From henceforth, I have two months of critical care and then six months in a wheelchair. But meanwhile, the rehab in New York, I was at Rusk Institute at New York for a month. They had the uh, chief psychiatrist there who counseled me and recommended a high-risk psychiatrist on Long Island about 20 minutes from where I lived, okay. and he was the right psychiatrist. He was a Quaker. He was a veteran of World War II. He had a lot of common sense. He took copious notes. He included my parents once a month in therapy where the other doctor did not. He had worksheets on how to eat properly, how to sleep, how to have a positive relationship, how to invest your money very well, um, or, and various uh, essays like that. And he said to me, no more traveling alone all over the globe, no more third floor apartments, less stimulus in your life. Don't do four things at once, which I would do. Since when I transferred to colleges, I moved to New York and Manhattan at the same time, I, various things, very, very stressful things at the same time. He said, take it a day at a time and don't put bunions in your head, which I would. Part of my anxiety and my insomnia was I would imagine myself 30 years ahead of time in an apocalyptic world. I would, and that's a cause of some of my insomnia. I was afraid to wake up to a, right. an abandoned world. I was afraid of being abandoned by everybody I knew, by my parents, my friends. The fear of abandonment was looming large, and that was a big part of my insomnia. Hmm. So he stressed, live a day at a time, live a moment at a time. Do not put bunions in your head that you're 30 years ahead of yourself. 
And that's a big cause of anxiety and depression. When you lose yes. hope, you feel abandoned, yes. and you project Gosh. yourself 30 years ahead of time. Or, Can I explain well, myself? Oh, very, very clearly, very clearly. And more importantly, in my situation, I don't project myself 30 years. I project myself ending. And that is, that's absolutely terrifying. And I've tried to explain it to people who don't suffer from mental illness. And they do try to help, and I, and I don't discount their efforts. Again, it's not relatable to them, and it's not helpful to me because they just can't possibly understand what it is you're going through. And you were fortunate enough to find that doctor to help you. How long were you with that doctor, and what more? Are you still, are you still in contact with that doctor, or do you use those tools that he gave you? He died. He had a, at, oh, 81, he was, oh. at 81, he had a major stroke. He wrote me a letter uh, about four months before he died. Uh, um, I had stopped seeing him. I saw him probably for a period, let me say, from the age of 31 or 28, the age of 28 to maybe in my 40s and right. early 50s, and then he, he, he died. I'm sorry. And then I had taken on another psychiatrist about five years later. Um, but by that time, my nervous breakdowns were more spaced apart. And with, the, with this okay. doctor, my second doctor, who was the right doctor, I still had breakdowns, but they were further apart. It just like twiddled out. It, 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 it climaxed with the, ac- the horrific accident, and then after that, maybe like every five years I would have a break. Till finally, 30 years later, from 1977 to 2000-whatever, I found the right medication and the right okay. dosage. You it just took that answered, long yeah. to find the right medication. No, 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 no. And you, you just answered my next question, which was going to be with medication. It, it, isn't it frustrating with mental illness that the medication prescribed is either a hit or miss? You've got to go through such a plethora of different medications to find that medication that works for you. How long did that take you? Absolutely, and, and many people don't realize that. And also, no, let me they add don't. one thing. Even a therapist, if that therapist is not effective for you in the first year, shop around and try another right. one. Don't wait seven right. years. Right. Same thing. But medication, you have to try different medications. Right. But realize, back in 1977, the medications were not that many. Thorazine, Haldol, and... sure. Maybe one other was available at that point. But when the 1990s came around, there were more medications and then many, many more following that. So people today, they have to, it's trial and error between it medications. Is. You have to try and see which is effective. It but took me three what medications. What happened was when I was yeah. hospitalized with one of my breakdowns, I think maybe in early 2000s, very early, a doctor prescribed uh, Zyprexa, which is an antipsychotic. It okay. did help, but the, it wasn't entirely effective because I wasn't taking the right dosage of it. And it took me another hospitalization in 2010 when the doctor prescribed a higher dosage 
of it. And then ever since then, I've been on that medication religiously, and I haven't had any incidences. So in essence, the right medication and the right dosage, I'm able to work out my patterns of psychosis and go beyond that. You understand what I'm saying? I understand exactly what you're saying. Patterns of psychosis. Your brain... Right. makes patterns of circuits, circuits of patterns sure. on how you react to stress. Sure. And you can actually change it. And medicine helps you change that it does. over a long it does. period of time. It does. The medicine I'm on right now has really made a difference. Um, we're going to take a real quick short break, Ruth. And then when we come back, we want to talk about your memoir and why you wrote it and, and what exactly you have in store for those people that read it. So if you'll give me a couple of um, about a minute or two, we're going to do a short break, and we'll be right back with Ruth Poniarski talking about her memoir, Journey of the Self-Memoir of an Artist. Have you ever read a web article on the Internet that really spoke to you? No, I mean really spoke to you. Well, let me tell you about Newsly. Newsly is the new and incredible audio app made especially for iOS and Android. Newsly picks up web articles about the most trending topics throughout the entire Internet. And at any given moment, Newsly reads those web articles to you in a natural human voice. Browse your favorite articles from topics you choose. Stop scrolling, start playing, start listening, and start learning. And Newsly has podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 40 countries. Our podcasts, Unscripted, Coffee Candy and Creatives, and On Demand are there too. Go to www.newsly.me to download and use Newsly for free now. And if you use promo code BEUNIQUERADIO, all one word and with caps, receive a one-month free premium description. For the first time in the history of the Internet, the web becomes listenable. Listen and learn with Newsly. Evening works to change the world for a better tomorrow using digital mediums to connect the dots of the world through professional storytelling. We have all embracing, all inclusive heart, and are always learning to create new things to revitalize and sustain old things. While recognizing our differences, we use positive and universal thinking to strategize for a positive outcome. We collaborate with people of all distinctions to create a better me, a better you. A better us. By caring for others, there's no room in our hearts for hatred, racism, or egoism. So, let our visions heal and keep the promises of what we will be. One day, by living helpful, caring, and happy, healthy, and essential lives. With the wonderful staff and volunteers at Be Unique, we will continue to pursue that dream by making the world a better place for everyone. From everyone at BeUnique.org, to our readers and listeners, Thank you for all your support. There's so much more on the way. If you like the show tonight, let us know. Call 321-417-4309 or email mary at beunique.org to ask how you can sponsor the show. It's simple and doesn't have to cost much at all. Visit beunique.org for even more details. That's B-U-N-E-K-E dot org.
All right, you are listening Join the global to world changers who already know how Be Unique helps bring together like-minded humans who are making the world a better place. Read the magazine and blog posts, watch our videos, listen to our podcast, and visit our social media from one location and let's work together. Change tomorrow by finding solutions today. Visit BeUnique.org to learn more. That's B-U-N-E-K-E dot org. You know, I always jump the gun on that commercial, and uh, I apologize to Be Unique for that. Um, anyway, we are you are listening to Unscripted. This is Be Unique Radio, and uh, we are with Ruth Parniarski. She has written a memoir called Journey of the Self-Memoir of an Artist, and uh, it is a gripping account. And Ruth shares her personal struggle with mental illness and how she courageously overcame life's most daunting challenges. Ruth, let's talk about your memoir. Um, you've done okay. and been in some dark places. What was it that inspired you to sit down and share these moments with people? Okay, the first time that I was really inspired to do that was after my 2010 hospitalization. I was in a I was in a place where I could feel that I was I was starting to heal and 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 getting a, a better and getting a grip on this cyclic ailment and I decided you know I'm going to write my story I have so much to say so many experiences so many life-defying experiences and I said if I share this with the world maybe maybe it'll help someone at least one person to help them and to to them to realize that they're not alone because in these instances, you feel isolated and alone and the only person going through this. And that kind of inspired me to tell my story and share it. And by writing my story, I was able to put myself, my patterns, my behaviors, I could step aside and look from a distance at myself. And that was part of the healing process also. I do recommend people to keep a journal about their emotions and their feelings and their upside-down way of dealing with stress so that they could really look at themselves from a distance, like you're looking at yourself in a bubble away from yourself. So you're well, able to evaluate your situation and, and be able to cope with your neurosis, your psychosis, or your depression and anxiety and what tips it off. And you could just see yourself. So that's, that's exactly that really what I did. Inspired me to write the book. That's exactly what I do. Now you talk about in the book you you have some very compelling topics, including uh, establishing healthy relationships. What's that all about? What do you mean by healthy relationships? Okay, well, I was in relationships that subliminally derailed me. It 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 um it it, it made me feel not good and low self-esteem and you know I was dating this gentleman for about a year and a half and he really didn't accept me and what he did was you know he said oh let's here's a list of how to improve yourself Ruth instead of saying oh Ruth you're you're doing good keep it up you know that kind of thing real positive be negative and say this is how you have to improve yourself and he would make a list of things he actually very, made a list for you? Are you he actually me? made a list. And that kind of like 
subliminally like fed into my low self-esteem. No kidding. And I just and and, and it was like a very non. It, it wasn't abusive outwardly. It was like a a subliminal abuse of my esteem and my feelings about myself. Sure. And I had dated him for about a, a year and a half, and it took me that long to break off with him because I didn't want to be alone. I was just so, I didn't want to live alone, and I was desperate not to live alone. That's part of why I lived with him for so long. Right. But it finally I just woke up and said, you know, I, I just can't, I can't live comfortably with myself around this gentleman. And, you know, and I was better for it that I broke off with him. So yes. relationships can be subliminally negative and, and not outwardly, but it could be abusive in a very quiet manner. And it could build. It builds on your low self-esteem if you, if you suffer from that, if you suffer from depression and anxiety. Yes. It could exasperate your situation subliminally. You yes. have to realize that. It takes time to realize that. You don't see it. You don't see it right off the bat. Um, no, not at all. Not at all. No, no, you no, don't. And you, and, don't. and you can have a pattern of picking people that that act that way, and you could fall into that rut of picking people that just don't uh, exert a positive influence on you or a positive, you know, positive way, a positive feeling. They just don't do that. You know, they have their own issues. They don't work on their own issues, and therefore it comes out in a very negative way towards the other partner. So, right. And that happens We're, quite often. Right. Now, what do you hope to do with your memoir in helping people? I mean, how do you – what do you want people to take away from this memoir? Okay. Well, there are a lot of different things. First of all, about relationships – you know, seeing, reading about what I went through with my relationships with various men and people and how I stuck to my guns. Every time I would go through a breakdown, which would be like a period of three weeks, after that I would get right up, go back to my friends. I worked in the architecture field, in the construction field. I traveled. Nothing held me back. I did more things than most people. But I led a double life, as I said before. Right, right, right. That, we all you do. know, about yeah. twice a year I would break down. But yeah. the message in that book is to keep going, to keep going forward until you right. find the happy medium in your life. Don't give up. Appreciate you know, your healthy moments and build on your healthy moments. You know, and I, I want I, people to take away from the book that never give up. You never right. give up regardless of what you're going through. Never, Boy. ever give up. Boy, and, and times seem so trying. And, and you really think to yourself, wow, what am I in this for? Why, why am I continuing on? I love the fact of your quote where you say you wrote your memoir with a mission. And that was to educate those suffering from mental illness and to show them that healing is possible. And that they are not alone in this complex and isolating world. Um, do you hope with the memoir that a person finds what you've gone through as being traumatic but also relatable 
And do you hope that anybody that that reads your memoir will understand that it's going to take a long time to self-heal. It's going to take a long time to find that part of your life that you thought was gone. Um, The question I have basically is, um, do you hope that people will read your book and seek out help for themselves? Oh, absolutely. To be conscious of having a problem and having to seek help and trying different help. If you're not happy with one, try another therapist. Again, we said that before, in trial medications. Trial how you live. Maybe you're living with somebody that's not working. It's not working. Get up and change your life. Um, That's, you know, that's the message. You know, keep, keep going forward, trying different things. You have to keep trying, and you have to be a certain, a certain amount of assertiveness and just, you know, like Seabiscuit the racehorse, who was a champion in the Depression and, and, a, and a beacon of hope for people. Same thing. I was like Seabiscuit. I never gave up. Right. Against all odds. Right. I mean, when I fell that 30 feet, I broke both my legs and my back. And after oh. that, I got up and I continued my life after I got out of that wheelchair. Right. It didn't stop me. I kept going, kept trying right. different things. How did you find so your passion? The message is just keep going. How did you find your passion? My, okay, my passion. Now, that's another thing, to find passion in life. Right. I had originally... Um, was very uh, good at visual and, and, and art. My mother took me to, she was very ahead of her time. She took me to a life drawing class when I was about six years old. And I had to do a rendition of a nude model. And she told me, don't laugh. And I said, I'm not going to laugh. And I <laughs> drew this model and I actually had the realistic torso and then it became like a Picasso drawing. But it was way ahead of its time. And ever since then, I really paid attention to the physical environment. I paid attention to the um, scenery and and how I would draw it or how I would build a home. It made me very sensitive to the physical environment and also to art. Back then, I, I developed that, and I think later on in years, I, I went to school for architecture. But that was a little bit over my head because I really wasn't disciplined enough for the architecture field. You had to do drafting drawings and 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 a lot of a lot of skilled drafting, which I didn't really have the discipline to develop to a very good degree. So I did that for a number of years, and I didn't do very well in the working field. I I didn't really get promoted. I was in the same position for years. So when I met the right doctor after my accident, he suggested that I take up painting. So in 1988, I took up painting, and I've been painting ever since. And then in 1995, I developed writing poems for each painting to bring the viewer further into my world of the painting. And then in 2010, I began writing books. So that's my journey, and to find the passion, to look back and see see what you're good at. I mean, right. in your youth, you may have had a hobby that you're really good at, 
and you were really interested in, but you persevered, but you went to another kind of a job, but you could still persevere your passion and still have a job, or you can turn your passion into an employment, a job. But I think to find the passion, you have to look back in your life, in your childhood and in your early teens, and see the hobbies that you you indulged in and see what your interests were back then because that's a very big part of you and what makes you up. You know what I mean? I do. I do know what you mean. Now, for a lot of our listeners that may be suffering uh, in the throes of a deep depression or anxiety, um, what advice can you give them when it seems like there's no hope at all? Okay, when it seems like there's no hope, sit down and write what, you're, what you're not, you don't have hope in and try to find someone to communicate that to. Communication is very big, a very big um, solution uh, to help you out of your depression. Um, I, you have to develop over time a support system, some sort of support system, anybody a family member, a clergy member, a friend, a professor, someone to talk to, to communicate to, to communicate your feelings, how you're feeling, and to spell out exactly what's bothering you, what, what you're depressed about, what, what's really under the, the root of the cause of your depression. You know, try it. communication is a lot. Talking to somebody is a lot, and it's very... You can get out of your isolation. That's what I think is most important. And it you takes also, a long time to develop that, but, but as, as I said, never give up to develop that. Right. You also said finding the perfect mate is important. Oh, yes. Yeah. So in the book, I must have gone out. I think I, got, I went out with about 15 guys. A few of them I were intimate with, but I, I, I dated a lot. It took me... From 1977 to 1980, let's see, 1981 or two, to find my mate. It took 13 years. 13 years. To find the perfect mate, I think what you have to do is you have to know yourself. You have to know yourself a little bit. And I think you should date a lot. You know, you'll find what suits you and what you share interests, uh, mutual interests in, in, in somebody who could be your mate. Mm-hmm. But as I said, you have to get to know yourself. And then what happened was in the, in the book, I got, I threw all of those 16 guys out the window into the ocean. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to be happy living with myself. I finally came to terms with living with myself and not so dependent on a company of a, of a wrong person. Right. So as soon as I did that, I got a call about four months, three months later from this dating service that I had signed up for and failed at to find anybody. But I got this call from uh, my husband. He said, let's go out on husband. a date. And, All right. was, and we went out on a date. And I noticed he was a, very much a gentleman, very sincere, very caring, and he told me he wants to be a psychiatrist, which was right up my alley, because at that right. point I said I, may, right. I should be a social worker because I know so much about this 
from the other side of the coin that I could help people being a social worker. So at that point, I had something in common with him, and we hit it off, and I wasn't looking. So when you're not, but you know yourself, and you're not desperate looking, somebody will come up, somebody will show up. And also, what I would say is, if you're not in a dating service, you know, do activities, shared activities with groups and things, that mm-hmm. you find somebody that shares the same interest as you, like in a group of, I don't know, hikers or photographers or gardening or a book club, and you find people that have the same interests or mutual interest, not all the same interests, but some interests and some values of life that you share. Right. It takes experience and it takes years of dating. That's what it took me, years of dating and finding what really was the right person for me. You also talk about understanding coping patterns with stress. Yeah, Uh, coping patterns. As I mentioned before, writing, writing down how you deal with stress, how you cope with stress, what do you do? What measures do you do that you're coping with, you know, I mean, stress could be anything. It could be a death of a family member. You're moving to another location. You're trying to complete college. You fail a course in college. You break up with a boyfriend. You're getting a divorce. How do you deal with that? There's stress in dealing with that. I mean, every time stress comes up, you have, you lose sleep over it. You may lose sleep over it. You may conjure up uh, paranoia. Write it all down and, you know, record it and see. And also then write a list of what you can do to alleviate your paranoia, alleviate your stress and how you're going to deal with it. Make a list of uh, things to do to overcome your anxiety and be able to cope with the situation that you're in. And lastly, Ruth, you said also discovering one's limitations. What do you mean by that? Okay. Um, In my life, um, I went beyond my limitations. I mean, I traveled. For instance, when I traveled to Greece, I mean, that was too much for me. I should have realized it was just too much for me. I couldn't deal with a bus every day looking at ruins and nobody to talk to. That's a limitation. I should have realized that. I, had, I should have had a little advice from my doctor about it, but I didn't get anything from him. Um, you know, overloading my, my uh, calendar of courses at college. I mean, instead of taking 18 credits, take 10 credits. Right. Realize your limitation that you can't at some point take 18 credits take 10 credits. You know, we all have limitations. We all can't do everything. Most of, you know, we can't travel alone all over the globe. That's, you know, without something happening. That's a limitation. Um, you know, don't have 10 children, have two children. You know, that's a limitation. Realizing your limitations, we all have them. And you have to realize them and, and live within the boundaries of what you can cope with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, Ruth, in our last five minutes, can you please exp- uh, describe or tell those that are listening right now where they can get your memoir and uh, where they can contact you? 
Well, you can contact me over my website. And what is the website? Which is, yeah, it's www.ruthponiarski.com. And on that site, I have my paintings and a few poems, a few reviews of the book, and um, a statement and, um, you know, paintings that you, you'll see my paintings there, early works and later works. And, um, yeah, you can, you can get my book and at, order the book from the site from uh, Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. That's on okay. my website. Okay. And that's where they can find it. Well, Ruth, let me tell you something. You have been absolutely compelling this evening and inspiring. And I, I do want to thank you on behalf of my listeners and myself. You sharing these darker, darker sides of your life, but making them so impressionable that change is definitely, definitely thought about. And I really want to thank you for being on Unscripted on tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And I hope you'll come back and join us in a short Absolutely. while. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, listen, that is all the time we have for tonight. Parnyansky, thank you so much for sharing. Your book is called Journey of the Self-Memoir of an Artist. It can be con- it can be got- it's not gotten. It can be purchased on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. But more importantly, go to Ruth's site. That's www.ruthparnonsky.com. Let me spell that for you. That's R-U-T-H-P-O-N-I-A-R-S-K-I.com. Ruth, thank you so much again from Unscripted, and uh, we hope you have an incredible evening, and, uh, and we look forward to more people reading your book and finding that inspiration and finding that hope that you found. By writing it. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Have a great evening. And that's all for us, folks. Join us next Thursday at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time for more Unscripted.